initiative built to create awareness of governance issues that highlight the cost of corruption and its impact on service delivery. Our podcast is also aimed at promoting values that will help build a society of people with integrity and provide solutions to service delivery challenges faced by Nigerians. My name is Farami Abiola and I'm the host of this podcast. On our podcast today, we'll be discussing the 2020 Corruption Perception Index, that's the newly released CPI for 2020 for countries. And I have a guest in the studio with us today to discuss this topic. Um, his name is Mr. Samuel Asimi. Um, Samuel, please introduce us, yourself and your organization for our audience. Thank you very much, Fermi, and thank you all for joining. My name is Samuel Oyimafu Asimi. I am a program officer anti-corruption with the Civil Society Legislative Advocacy Center, CISLAC. CISLAC is also the National Chapter of Transparency International in Nigeria. Yeah, thank you, Samuel. Um, so we can move into the topic uh, very quickly. Um, since its inception, the Corruption Perception Index by Transparency International um, and it's one of the flagship research projects of the organization has become one of the leading global indicators of public sector corruption. And the index offers an annual snapshot of the relative degree of corruption by ranking countries and territories from all over the globe. This year, the 2020 index was released. Um, so Nigeria ranked 149 over 180 with a score of 25 over 100. And we'll be discussing more of what that means um, subsequently. So before we dive into the conversation properly, um, can you please, for the sake of listeners who may not know, explain to us how the data for the CPI is gathered and what is the methodology for this process? Thank you, Ferami, for this. And we at Transparency International Nigeria, we like to have opportunities like this where we explain the methodology to citizens and also other research experts, because it's always an issue where we have backlash from state and non-state actors around the methodology and how it was developed. So just as you've rightly said, the CPI was developed by Transparency International since 1995. So since then, TI has been releasing a corruption perceptions index, which are annual rankings of the corruption prevalence in countries based upon surveys by experts and of course country and business persons. So the CPI is computed, and I say computed because subsequently I would explain by Transparency International Secretariat in Berlin, Germany. The CPI is computed because it aggregates data from different sources that provide perception on the level of corruption in the country in the public sector of the country. So it measures, it measures administrative and political corruption. So these are the areas the CPI covers. For other um, corruption, like you could say the perception and experience of citizens, sorry, not perception, experience of citizens, we have the corruption barometer, which TI uses. But that's the separate um, um, data from this and uh, survey. So the CPI is a composite data. It uh, has two numbers, zero to 100, which is the score, and also there's the rank, which is where countries are measured based on their performance relative to other countries. So the score, zero to 100, zero is very corrupt, and 100 is 
very clean. Because of uh, uh, how critical we take the CPI, and because of how important we take the CPI, we have key sources, credible sources that Transparency International uses for the CPI. So we have eight of them for the 2020 CPI. We have the World Economic Forum Executive Opinion Survey. We have the World Justice Project Rule of Law Index. We have the World Bank Country Policy and Institutional Assessment. We have the Bartelsmann Foundation Transformation Index. We have the Economics Intelligence Unit Country Ratings. We have the Global Insights Country Risk Rating. We have the PRS International Country Risk Guide. And we have the varieties of democracy projects. So these are the eight sources used to measure the CPI for Nigeria for the year 2020. So each of the sources measure governance uh, indicators, of course, which is around business and corruption perception and all that. So under each of these indicators, and um, each of these sources rather, they have indicators measuring specific areas. And the areas Transparency International picks from these eight sources, we look at bribery, look at diversion of public funds, we look at prevalence of officials um, using public office for private gain without facing the consequence, we look around on nepotism and how merits versus nepotism works, we look around on effective persecution for corrupt officials, we also look around issues of access of civil society to information on public affairs, we look around state capture by vested and narrow interest. So these are like areas we look around from these eight sources. Now, each of these sources have, uh, they, they have different numbers and figures and ways of grading countries. So we standardize each of these sources to scales of zero to 100. So each of them, we standardize them, then get the average for all the sources. So this is how we actually generate and come about the score computed by Transparency International. Just to give you an overview of how the process is. To push this further, um, the methodology was updated in 2012 because definitely Transparency International would like to keep up with um, reality and would like to ensure that this CPI is, of course, like a work in progress and we try to improve it to ensure it's up to date. With the new methodology in 2012, we had and different actors audited, and the European Commission Joint Research Center undertook an independent audit of the CPI in 2012 and 2017. They undertook the audit of the methodology, and they found out that the CPI is conceptually and statistically coherent and has a balanced structure. So this was what the uh, audit found out, and it's important for critics of the CPI and mostly state actors who feel that uh, Transparency International just sits somewhere and crop data. It's important for them to understand that this um, is an empirical evidence that's backed by, of course, audited and verified methodology. So I think with that, that explains the methodology around the Corruption Perceptions Index CPI. Thank you very much for that robust response, Samuel. And I, I, I agree with you that it's very important for us to um, break that down for the everyday Nigerian as well as for state actors so that people don't think, you know, figures were pulled um, just from the air. So thank you for that again. 
Um, so the 2020 CPI has shown that for the fourth consecutive year, Nigeria ranked second most corrupt country in West Africa. What would you say is responsible for this consistent decline? Thank you, Ferrami, for that question. Um, when we get to respond to the media partners on the issues and the challenges responsible for the decline, um, it's, it's, it's important that we highlight these key issues because citizens need to understand this. So first of all, we could look around see the COVID-19 pandemic response. Um, there was a lack of transparency in the response to the COVID-19 pandemic. You and I uh, saw clips of um, palliatives, like relief materials donated by state actors, non-state actors, uh, private businesses under the Kaka COVID coalition and the coalition against COVID. And we saw how these resources and these um, palliatives, permit me to call them that, we managed. In some cases, we saw them ending up in the houses of political actors who have been used as souvenirs for birthday, party loyalists. I mean, we saw the aftermath of breaking into warehouses by citizens. This is really, really an issue. And with all those images, I don't think somebody would expect that those um, scenarios and those scenes won't negatively impact the perception of corruption in a country. Another example I would like to give you, you look around the um, lack of coordination and effective um, anti-corruption framework. With these out, give the example of the suspended acting chairman of the Economics and Finance, Economic and Financial Crimes Commission, EFCC, person of Mr. Ibrahim Magu. We all um, saw what happened to Mr. Ibrahim Magu, saw the theatrics in his removal and suspension suspension to be precise. Now, it's not in our place as Transparency International Nigeria to say if he's guilty or not, no. Our point is that the uh, issues and the way it was handled, this is the head of a lead anti-corrupt agency. So if you're accusing him of corruption, then you should expect it should definitely affect the perception. I'm hitting on this more because part of the allegations against him, one of them was that he misused recovered assets. To be specific, he mismanaged recovered assets. So I think one good thing you should give credit to the government for is that they've been able to recover assets domestically and foreign. So we have lots of, just walk around Abuja, you find buildings on the EFCC, keep off, you find um, lots of, in the news, you get jewelries, you get lots of personal items, you get money. We are even recovering the Abacha loot, different types. We got one in 2017. Towards the end of 2017, we signed some, which has been used for the conditional cash transfer. We also had another just recently from US and um, Jersey that was to be used for road construction. So now the government is making improvements and efforts in this area. However, the problem now is the management of these assets. And I'm pointing this because of its it's a bit disorganized in the sense that you have the ESCC recovering assets, you have the ICBC, you have the Code of Conduct Bureau, you have the Nigerian Police, you have the Nigerian Customs, you even have the NDLEA, Nigerian Drug Law Enforcement Agency recovering assets. Now, all these agencies recover assets, but you and I don't have a central database or a central register. In other words, a one-stop shop where we could just go and see, okay, 
how many assets have been recovered, how many houses, how many cars, are they in interim, are they in final for features, which is before the courts, you won't see anything like that. Just take a stroll at some point, uh, months back, just close to the just after the central mocks along that, there's, there, there is a, 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 I call it, a fenced land, piece of land, where you have lots of cars packed in here. The cars are bad shape, of course. Um, you'll see uh, them there, and when you ask, they tell you those are seized assets, value depreciating, they're just packed in there. So the, the challenge with this is, it creates a scenario where there is um, the tendency for this assets to be relooted. And now, if we have a central database or a central register, the allegation whether or not Mr. Magu mismanaged recovered assets would not even be there in the first place because there would be a website where you see it. And these were part of the commitment Nigeria made at the London Uncac Summit, I think about 2016, where we committed to some anti-corruption initiatives. One of the quick ways was just to have a central assets recovered assets register where everybody puts their assets there. But we don't have these, and this is a challenge. So that's also one of the factors you could see that affected the perception of corruption in Nigeria. Another factor responsible, or another factor or a witness we can actually point to is um, the issue of, I think, corruption within the public sector specifically um, the security services. I mean, we all saw what happened late last year, the NSAS protest. This was, of course, uh, young Nigerians being really sad and angry about the high prevalence of police extortion. And this has been backed by um, research by the UNDC and the National Bureau of Statistics, MBS, in the 2017 and the subsequent 2019 corruption survey, where the police stands out as the most corrupt public institution, going by the experience of Nigerians on bribery. So what that also gives you is, um, having the issue of answers, uh, looking at the police extortion, looking at young people protesting, that also definitely impact negatively on the perception of corruption in the country. Then you could go on and on, you could look around the issue of, of the Judicial Council, where they had appointments out of about eight of the 33 judges nominated by the NGC. You have um, children of, they had kids of present or past justices of the appeal and Supreme Court. They numbered eight out of 33. And that's also an issue because if you look at uh, the, 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 the way judges are being appointed, so it's by suggestion, nomination to be precise, and um, application. So you either apply or you get nominated. Efforts by different um, non-governmental organizations, one of them access to justice in Lagos, to get um, the segregation of this data, looking at those who were appointed, those who were nominated and those who applied have actually proved abortive because it doesn't work out. So that's another issue you could look at. Then you could also look at issues around nepotism, favoritism in appointment, promotion and appraisals, where you have the commercialization of appointments. You could hear different um, parastatals, MDs are employing people and 
there are people that have been asked for money, even down to admissions in the universities and the rest. So we had all these cases down to passport, even down to the um, different, I mean, of recent, though this wasn't captured on the CPI because this just happened this year, you could go down to the name, national identity number, where you have people been asked to pay money for this. Thing. So as easy as all this, these are factors that you could actually use the points to the lens to the decline and share on the CPI. Thank you very much, um, Samuel. I would agree with you that um, 2020 was quite an eventful year um, and there were a lot of things that happened that gave rise to um, corruption in procurement, public service, and even um, increasing by payments by everyday Nigerians. Um, that being said, Nigeria ranked, you know, 149 out of 180 countries. Um, what would you say that's what is the implication for, you know, our anti-corruption fight in Nigeria against next year beyond these factors? You know, we've ranked so low. What can we say about the measures being put in place currently? And then what do you think are some recommendations that Nigeria can implement to improve going forward in 2021? As patriotic citizens, um, we are transparency international Nigeria. We always try to give out um, recommendations. So our criticism is constructive and not the other way around. Um, first of all, the government needs to acknowledge that there's a problem because only then can they now solve the problem. So the issue of bashing the index and trying to call um, patriotic citizens, maybe elements, foreign elements and the rest is not a good way to address the issue. Clearly. It is out there, it is obvious, and we are putting much effort in the fight against corruption. We have um, much lip service and also lots of activities, but the results are not commensurate to the efforts. So we need to look for how to re-strategize the place. The first step would be ensure transparency in the utilization of public funds. We could look at the COVID relief funds, the National Assembly, anti-graft agencies can follow up cases of corruption around the COVID response. The Office of the Editor General should also be strengthened so he's able to carry out audits on different entities and different institutions. You could look around at the appointment and promotion of public um, servants or yeah. It should be done based on merit, not nepotism or favoritism. You could look around um, frameworks, legislative legal frameworks and policies to help the fight against anti-corruption. We could talk about the whistleblower law not just the policy by the Ministry of Finance that rewards you for playing the resource funds. Another encompassing framework would help. We could talk around on the proceeds of crime, where we can act or build, where we can have maybe a central database in the management and utilization of what assets. Moving on to um, already existing frameworks like the Police Act 2020, we could have their full implementation. The CAMA, which is also a nice for the Company and Allied Matters Act. We could also see full implementation of this act. Also, looking around the issues of security votes, the government can should actually ensure that these funds are channeled to security and defense agencies. And there are structures and mechanisms in place to monitor these frameworks to ensure that funds are being spent judiciously and they are audited. We move on to issues around the civic space, the media. Uh, citizenry and other actors. The government should ensure that the democratic rights of citizens as enshrined in the constitution is also respected. So these are areas and these are avenues which would also look around on the anti-corruption strategy. 
government should operationalize it. It shouldn't just be, and this is important, the fight against corruption shouldn't just be at the federal level. I think it's a mistake we make. We'll have governors becoming, you know, I don't want to say emperors, but I think that's the word. So you have them controlling their domains, and there's little transparency at the subnational level. I think this needs to be cascaded down there. So it's not just for the federal government, you know, everybody should be part of it. Not for the executive alone, the legislators, you have um, all other arms of government, the three arms should also join the fight against corruption. So it's holistic. So once we do this, and once we have the citizens as well have a part to play. So we don't just blame governments for citizens. They should be active citizens. They should demand good government, good government, sorry. They should um, not give bribes. They should be active. They should report instances of corruption. Citizens shouldn't feel like nothing would happen. They should report this and pressure. And we would all see a change in that. So I think these are areas and these are recommendations that Nigeria can work on. And once we do this, of course, we would see some positive change on the next um, CPI. Thank you very much um, for that, Samuel. My final question to you today would be, you know, looking at positive reinforcement. Um, Cape Verde has continuously talked to West Africa on this ranking. Are there any lessons you think Nigeria can pick from um, Cape Verde in terms of anti-corruption and enforcement in the country? Yes, please. Um, if we look around Cape uh, Verde, if provided um, over time, they've been able to provide positive response to different issues. You can talk around issues around organized crime. Yeah, they've done lots of criminal justice reforms. They've done issues with uh, the anti-corruption fight in general. And I think um, with, with, with Nigeria, the, the way forward will be for us to actually know um, different countries have different peculiar challenges. So it's, it is important for us to know our problems, our challenges, and face them squarely. Nigeria is not short of um, ideas. We're not short of um, um, opinions. We have lots of reports and publications. It's just the issue of implementing the national anti-corruption strategy. These are things we could do. KPET um, responded well to its criminal justice system around reforms. Uh, they, 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 they had lots of issues with organized crime, smuggling and drugs and corruption by border officials and court officials, they actually worked with international partners like the UNODC and other actors to ensure that these things are nipped in the board. And you could see the effect of this around their positive response on the CPI. So I think moving forward, we would have a, a comprehensive response to this because look at KidVet, they, 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 the response is comprehensive in terms of the Minister of Justice leading the work and the fight against um, anti-corruption and all those issues. For Nigeria, it, it would be nice for us to have better coordination amongst the anti-corruption agencies. So EFCC, ICPC, and the rest. I mean, scenarios where we find them competing or trying to outdo each other shouldn't arise. There should be cooperation, there should be coordination, and the Minister of Justice should also lead these efforts and lead these agencies. So I think with that, we would actually be fine. 
Thank you very much, Mr. Asimi from CISLAC. We're so glad that you're able to join us today. And thank you for this enlightening conversation. We hope that our listeners have picked one or two things about the CPI. Um, and that hopefully government partners who listen to our podcast, you know, pick up some of your recommendations as well. So thank you very much for your time. Please follow CISLAC on social media. Um, they're on Twitter, they're on Instagram. Please follow their work as well. Um, and follow Step Nigeria on Instagram and Twitter at Step on Facebook and LinkedIn at Step of Nigeria. I've been your host, Fermi Adiola. Uh, thank you again, Sam, for your time. Thank you very much, Fermi, and thank you to Step of Nigeria.